did we just hear? Uh, we just listened to the Unholy Grave cover of uh, the Ramones song Beat on the Brat, followed by um, No Radical Superiority. Uh, both of those are off of their uh, Grind Killers uh, full length. Awesome. It's a little less crowded today than it's been in previous episodes. Jordan is not here. He, What, what happened to Jordan? Did he finally like slip off of your balcony when, when he was sleeping? Um, something about he muttered something before he left earlier today about how he needs uh-huh. to go get health insurance and something's okay. wrong with his teeth because they're rotting out of his skull. I'm not really sure. Oh boy! And he borrowed some of my underwear before he left. Borrowed. <laughs> borrowed. Good. But we do have someone joining us, Jared. Introduce our guest. So here we have uh, Justin Nipper. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Justin M. Nipper. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we met you through mutual acquaintance, Makiko of uh, Flatidious. FID. 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 Friend of the show. And I remember someone was like, oh, yeah, he, uh, he likes comics. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I like comics. And in fact, the first time we met, not long ago, when a uh, mutual friend, Jay. Jay Holmes. Jay Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had us all together at that, uh, what is it, Devilcraft? Is that Devilcraft in Condo, yeah. Yeah, the pizza joint. Yep. Sure, uh, deep dish pizza, which is also like pineapples, a sin in the face of pizza, but it was still pretty good. Pretty I don't know. Good. I, lo- I love deep dish pizza. It's my favorite. It was very good. <laughs> and Devil Craft is very good. You guys are, you guys are <laughs> monsters. <laughs> New York style is the only way. And yeah, you only go to slices. Yeah, that's right. I go where hipsters buy their pizza. Yeah, 500, 500 yen a slice. Oh, that's in Nakamegro, yeah? Uh, um, it's like right south <clears throat> of uh, Shibuya Station. Is there another slice? 
You know, I think there might be. I heard, I've never been. There's oh, one in a Motosondo? Oh, okay. Another high-class joint. Have you ever hung out in a Motosondo? That used to be, like, my go-to joints whenever, like, take someone on a first date. We just walk them from like Shibuya all the way up to Motosando and so fancy. point out stuff and then take them by Motosando Hills and tell them how it used to be a yeah, a danshi, a public housing. Yeah, and then gentrification happened. And they tore it down to build a admittedly very attractive mall. And then we'd go down by the river and I'd try to make out with them. <laughs> ah, but at Devilcraft, uh, we started talking comics and we had a great conversation. It was yeah. great meeting uh, someone who shares an appreciation of Grant Morrison. And his yeah, right on. Yeah, it was nice. It's and we learned that not only do you enjoy comics, you in fact run a publishing, you say a publishing company, right? Yeah, Panoptic yeah. Press. Uh, the Panoptic Press, yeah. Panoptic I, Press, my mistake. No, it's okay. Um, so the Panoptic Press is generally comics. We make digital comics and limited print comics. Me and Stephen Arenas, who's based in Rochester, New York, we also work with an artist named Bile. We most yeah we mostly do comics, but we also are dabbling in limited run, uh, handmade toys, apparel. Ah uh, yes, I uh, saw some of those. You, sh- you got to, you showed me a couple. Pretty rad. Yeah, Bile is in charge of the toys, and we also have T-shirts and buttons and stickers and handmade zines and professionally printed comics. So we do what we can when we can. Where did you even learn to make a comic? That seems to be a one aspect of the industry that I have no idea how it works. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way, too. You just write it. <laughs> you just, well, the great thing about writing comics is that, as now, there's no like set way. So if you're going to write for television or movies, there's an industry standard. you gotta, you got to write it a certain way. you got to use certain software and if you're going to submit to uh, certain companies or certain organizations it has to be in a certain way whereas comics depending on if you're just working for yourself you just you just write it I want to see this and you just break it down into panels or frames the, uh, the physical production of it well the physical production of it like drawing and inking and all that or well, actually printing it printing it yeah, yeah. the actual well printing. that depends I mean we are working for the main, our like flagship anthology is called uh, Panoptic Presents. It's just an anthology that we put out, try to do it two or three times a year. And we just found a printing press in Rochester area, New York. Uh, we choose how many copies we want to press and make a deal and that's it. Just like print it by like pressing the CD. Same, same People idea. in the Rochester area, how would they find some of uh, your titles? There are a few places in Rochester that offhand, I don't know the names of the stores, but in a good amount of the stores in Rochester, you can find titles at stores and in local uh, local shops down there. Uh, also, throughout the States, you can find them in Chicago and uh, stores in Seattle bunch of places in New York, upstate and downstate. Yeah. That's did you cool. go to school to study this, or did you study art? Did I studied study music writing? at school. Oh, wow. I have a degree in music theory and composition. Oh. So, <laughs> so, so something that obviously translates very well into publishing comics, obviously. Well, making comics, I mean, my approach is, I, I mean, I went to school to learn how to write music, and my approach to 
writing comics. It isn't like writing music, but just that's where my brain is, so I see it. It's composing. You're just making art. Uh, it's really hard to verbalize. Everything that I learned in college, if it relates to music, I am taking relative theories and applying them to comics I make. Cool. In, as far as like tone goes, or as far as pace goes, tempo is tempo in music and reading and movies. You know, there's time. You have to involve time. Oh, uh, yeah, good point. So, I remember a long time ago, you remember that uh, magazine Wizard? Of course. Yeah, uh, back in the day. I, I, when I was younger, I would read that, and there was a instruction. Yeah, they had that portion by like professional artists who would talk about uh, like a random aspect of uh, drawing hmm. or writing. And I remember one specifically devoted to panel layout, and he had two examples of like how to control like the pacing of a scene. He had two examples to contrast with each other, and the the content was the same. Like a little kid running up to his grandmother trying to get a cookie, and the grandmother reaches in the cookie jar and pulls out a gun and shoots the kid. And then the kid's head explodes and full of, like, gears because he was a robot the whole time. You know, just something silly that the artist just put together. And the first page was a pretty standard, like, six-panel layout. And, it re and he's like, yeah, it feels kind of flat, doesn't it? But what if we try to do it this way? And you have, like, the first two panels of this traditional six-panel page. But then the, the next ones, like, each panel got progressively slimmer and more narrow, like a more narrow focus and frame until, like, the big shot of the grandmother, you know, blowing the kids head apart mm -hmm. you know it's like and this is how you can this is like that was my first introduction to the idea of like pacing in terms of like panel and now to hearing you talk about uh comparing it to music well you just described that's exactly what how i was thinking about it. i mean as you said when you, you make an image bigger or smaller or you you subtract panels and add one panel big panel small panel that's like a texture you know mm -hmm. that, that's it's space we're, we're working in space and time and uh yeah, as you said, that that's like a crescendo at the yeah. end. Right, right. She get, the guy gets shot. The boy, you said. Yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. Boy gets shot in the head. Nuts and bolts go everywhere, and yeah, it's like a crescendo in the song. It's like the the high point. Bang. So, yeah, it's just it. It's not like the technique, but it's just how you think about it, or how you perceive what you're looking at, what you're reading. How long have you been in Japan? Quick. I wish I could have... Wait, wait, let's go back. Let me think of a segue. Sure. Let me think of a segue. <laughs> no worries. Uh, let me think. Was I've been in Japan segue? for three years. Well, actually, uh, I, I actually have a question. So sure. do you... Can, if, if anybody wanted to pick up any of your, your issues or um, zines or anything in Japan, is that possible? I know you guys had a booth at the Comic-Con that was just last year, November, yeah. I think. Yeah, in November, uh, we had a booth at the Kaigai International Manga Festival, um, but we sold all of the hard copies we had in Japan. Okay. But if you want hard copies, the best way to do it is just to go through our website, thepanopticpress.com, and it links right up to our store, Envy. And if you want hard copies, you can buy them there. We have a few digital copies of our anthology, Panoptic Presents Comics. Cool. Too. But in Japan right now, uh, no, because we talked about it earlier, I, I'm actually moving back to the States fairly soon so uh, right right uh, back to uh, you said well not off back to but you're going to Portland yes I want to yeah so the plan that that's a long plan but first I'm going back to New York and then hopefully by the fall I want to we want to make it out to Portland and I'm applying to schools out there and see what happens oh right right you were talking about uh, studying publishing yeah yeah that's right that's that's what I want to do knock on wood where's the wood to knock on here oh that's a wood colored piece of an old good enough <laughs> wood but, textured uh, a little bit 
you know, the guy I work with, Steve, who definitely does a lot of the heavy lifting for, you know, I, I do the writing and we talk about what we're going to do, but Steve in Rochester is definitely the, 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 the guy. The hands-on. I mean, he, I, as, if I'm writing, he, he's, he's writing, but he's also doing a lot of the art and he's doing a lot of the lettering and inking and pressing. Like, he, he's doing the heavy lifting. See, so. That was the, like, that side of the production. Like, not, not the writing of the art. Like, I know all that works and artists and writers communicating back and forth, but I would see credits for the letterer in comics and be mm. like, whose job is it? Like, is that actually important? And then I started thinking, like, no, someone has to come up with these fonts. Someone has to come up with, like, the colored sound effects and things like that. Yeah. And, like, like the bubble placement. Where mm -hmm. that, where, how do you place those in a panel to not obscure the action and stuff like that? That's something... Well, Steve is really good at that, and he's doing that. But uh, as far as lettering goes, it's different now because it's digital. Right, but right. back up until, like, the mid-'90s, it was by hand. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, lettering is really, really important. I think when, when you read a comic... You have to factor in that you're looking at an image, but you're also looking at words. So our, the way our eye and brain interprets that is different than how we read it. But when we read mm -hmm. a book or a magazine, you're just reading left to right, and that's it. And you're reading paragraph by paragraph. It's pretty. Your brain doesn't have to worry about format, but when you're working with images and text, you gotta okay. The bubble starts on the left, and then it's going down here. But you got a, a figure in the middle. What's going on? So it could be confusing. So. Right. Uh, but there is an advantage to that. I can't remember if we talked about this at Doublecraft, but um, the woman who wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, a really fun, um, very long uh, British fantasy novel, and in an interview she was talking about how she read a lot of Alan Moore, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why she, she was attracted to Alan Moore because he has such a gift for... He, she said he had, and I agree with her, she has, he has a real gift for being able to do something that you can only do in comics, which is simultaneously have two different narratives going on hmm. one you can and you can do that in a number of different ways you can have like the the art in the panel telling one story and while the lettering like uh, the you know the box in the, at the top telling a different story or you can tell you can have two people speaking more or less simultaneously panel by panel by having like different colored letter uh different colored boxes letter boxes i don't mm -hmm. know what you call them and i never even like i'd, I'd seen that done like a thousand times i had never once about it making comics you can do so much as far as we talked about pays time or who's speaking or who spoke and who's speaking now and who's speaking in the next panel or what's happening you can you can jump from you can have two panels you got one that's going on now and one that's going on a thousand years in the future and then the next panel is you know, Edo period whatever you want to do you, you can jump so easily and you don't if you're making a movie you got to factor in all of this other kind of stuff right, right. whereas if you're a good artist you just draw it yeah and I think we've been seeing like a maturing within comics that has not also been seen in like uh, film popular film um, I think have you noticed how I don't know if this is the case of someone pointing it out to me and then I noticed it but like uh, maybe ten years ago I remember reading an interview with some artist and a write, an artist and writing team who were like yeah we just Never ever, like our rules, we never ever use a thought bubble. Like, that's dumb, terrible way to tell a story. Like, if you have to literally write down what your character is thinking, you're obviously not doing a good job telling the story. I was like, holy crap, they're right. And then I started going back through my uh, the stuff I read, and I did notice a marked 
decrease in the use of thought bubbles. You don't Even see in popular, them. like, Marvel DC, like, flagship uh, series. I agree to an extent, although if you want to add some spice or flair, I mean, if you have uh, narration and the person or character who's narrating the story is a different character than who's appearing in the panel, you got two voices in one panel, so that can be convenient. It just depends on how you work it and how you use it. But generally, you don't need to tell someone what they see. If there's a, a woman and she's in a panel and she's holding a gun and she's going to kill a guy, <laughs> you don't need to say, this is the woman who is going to kill the guy with the gun. They see it. Like, that's, we we uh, interpret the information by just looking at the picture. We don't need to read words. Mm. We're in Japan, so we use a lot of gestures. You guys know how it is. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to say anything. Yeah. If you saw a woman with the gun, you'd know kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I might have a couple yeah, of Yeah, okay. Okay, that's fair enough. But you know what I mean, though. Um, you can convey so much information with just a picture, and you don't need to be so on the nose about it in comics whereas you know 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s even into the 90s even sometimes now people do that but you're right uh, especially like um, like I'm thinking back to like the 80s like John Bryan Superman uh, books my brother this was back in a time younger listeners might not realize this was ever a thing where you would literally have comics mailed to you <laughs> yeah subscriptions yeah. Yeah. yeah like straight up subscriptions man it was wild but even then like uh, that was a very pop. That gets a fondly remembered time of uh, '80s comics, and looking back at it now, it seems so like aimed at like the dumbest person in the room. Like they have to make sure that the dumbest reader always knows what's happening. Mm. Yeah, for Which, a lot of stuff, yeah. But uh, in the '80s is where like the kind of as they could say the modern age was. It was it's kind of sparked. You got your Watchmen, and you got your Dark Knight Returns. And things like that. And so, Hellblazer was what eighty eight. Hellblazer was eighty eight, and Vertigo kind of yeah, uh, yeah. started eighty nine, ninety or yeah, something. I think like. ninety because I've, I've actually just been rereading <coughs> Hellblazer recently. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that, it I was DC and then switched over. A Swamp so, Thing, and yeah. generally just the mainstream was going more mature. There's, of course, there were underground comics happening since late sixties, yeah, yeah. but it hit the mainstream around the eighties. So there was that mix. There was that mix. There was they were just appealing to the lowest common denominator, mainstream. We're, we're talking about America here, not right. right, the, right. The, the the story in Europe and England is different, and Japan is like oh, that's totally. They're so entirely different. The, yeah. the scenes in, in, as far as comics goes, in in the states and the West and Japan, I can't speak to any of the progress or movement in no, the, the history of Japanese comics publishing is probably far that's too large. That's an entirely yeah, different That's its own, own dedicated episode. podcast yeah. that would need like a dozen episodes to even really dig into it. Yeah. Hardcore manga history. <laughs> Instead of hardcore history. Yeah, I like that. No, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we just see different things these days. So you said there was a, there was a difference before in, in kind of America and, and, and England. Yeah. How, how was that different? Uh, to be reductive, not not to. I don't have so much information, but in the states, you got your Marvel and your DC. I'm talking seventies, eighties here, yeah. and in England, you had two thousand AD, and you had uh, Commando, 
and warrior magazine. So you had more anthology magazines and you had l less superhero stuff and more mm, war stuff. Yeah, I remember um, reading Grant Morrison talking about like the comics he read as a child in the, like, the late 60s, 70s and whatnot before he started his own career in the 80s. And it sounded nothing like the stuff that like I had been reading growing up, or like uh, the stuff that my dad had read when he was younger. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got the with the British invasion. You got your Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and Mark Millar and Neil Gaiman and Grant you know, Ennis, and Garth Ennis, Warren Ellis. Those guys are from UK, and they just they brought something that was totally different yeah, to the states. They really did. In the states, we had we had superheroes, we had capes, we yeah. had bad guys and good guys. It was pretty simple. It's just a different different vibe and a different uh, narrative arc and they were able to do stuff with like these old <laughs> uh, I don't want to say useless but these kind of like C-list characters they were able to like revitalize them with like wild stories um, that Alan Moore when he started he wrote that weird like one of the weirdest like Captain Britain stories yeah that was so I, I read that and I was like Captain Britain like Excalibur like who gives one I, mean, I forgot this is a broadcast this is a radio broadcast episode we can't swear but who gives a sh about <laughs> Captain Britain but he wrote this sprawling insane story that was just tragic and moving and frightening at times the oh, same with Grant Morrison's uh, Animal Man right 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 right. well I mean, that's cool though because it's like um, you don't have it anymore but back then you had it's like you're a writer and you have access to a lot of people to access with a character that could be you could reach a lot of people with this character but it's so obscure and it, nobody really touched it or it hasn't been touched in a long time so you can just it's kind of, it's a perfect storm sort of situation where okay I'm working for a mainstream company I got this little character they can push it because they have the capacity to push it and I can generally do what I want yeah you, a lot of freedom it's like a game it's like yeah. okay here are my parameters uh Here's what I can do. I can essentially do anything, and this company's gonna push me and give me money for it. And these days, it's really hard to do. It's, things are different now. Things are yeah. so different. Yeah, yeah, with like the because the Marvel's just printing money with all these movies, right? Hollywood, so Hollywood, DC too. I mean, you got Batman and Superman, now Wonder Woman in a few months. So yeah, I mean. Although it seems like DC's game is more TV. Like, it seems like they've been really yeah, doing a much right. better with their TV game than Marvel has. Don't get me wrong, I love Jessica Jones, uh, but I have not enjoyed most of the stuff that Marvel's put out. Well, last night we were television. talking, and then one of my friends mentioned that basically whatever's in production for the Marvel movies now, that's it. And then they're going to start focusing on TV. That's what mm -hmm. I heard last night. I don't, I don't know. Well, doesn't what they have planned for production like extend all the way into like 2020 or something like that? <laughs> oh. I mean, maybe maybe my friend was misinformed, or maybe I heard him wrong, but the way he made it sound like all the movies that, that are in production now are going to be it. Like, 2017 is basically the last year. Any movie that was scheduled to go into production after 2017 is not going to go into production. It'll become oh, a TV really? show. Because it sounded like they had quite an extended timeline ready to go. Yeah. I think they're... Because they're, I think with Netflix and the success with Netflix, they might be looking to go that route. All right, well, so. I'm not sure what will happen, but... I, I feel that when I look at modern, <clears throat> the things that are coming out from Marvel and DC, more Marvel, like, you know, this week or this past mm -hmm. year, you see everything and it's it's like they're making it to be made into a movie or to correspond with the movie. And uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, 
when you read something and you feel like it's a supplement to a movie, you feel like you're reading just like a, a cheap rag. Yeah. That's, it doesn't have that value or importance. It's not really a special story. It's just, it's just like buying an action figure. No, yeah. I like action figures too. Don't get me wrong, but there's no weight to it. The, the, the story can only go certain ways. It can't yeah, get too extreme it has, or it can't, you know, there's like firmly some pretty firm boundaries yeah. that it cannot possibly ever escape because it has to lead to, has to lead to Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's like the movies aren't that bad. I mean, they're they're fine. No, they're I cool. They're fine. Yeah. yeah, but it's just when if I feel like you have capacity and ability to make really cool stuff, and they're just not. Well, well, I've, I've heard I mean, good things about uh, Logan. The, I yeah, I heard good things. I've heard too. that it's not like a good X Men movie. It's just a straight up really solid film that's yeah, very moving that's and also. sad and but also you know really fun and but i also great. heard old man logan i think as far as i know is not a part of the x-men canon it's like logan's own canon but it's not a part I, of the I, I just universe. read like the first 11 issues a couple days ago so there was a an original run mark millar <clears throat> it, it originally you're both right it, originally it was uh this story that just didn't take place in the Marvel Universe. And a few years ago, they did a big crossover, and they took that story, and they, they wove it into the current universe, all those convoluted... Time travel stuff. Time travel. Yeah. Can I say bullshit? No. <laughs> bullshit. No. it out. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme will come in with a... No. That's, how, that's what we use for a sensor. It's a Jean-Claude Van Damme soundboard. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> JCVD, come on. Um... <laughs> But yeah, they, they somehow took the, the story that wasn't connected and they connected it because recently, or a couple of years ago, they killed Wolverine. But how can we bring him back? <clears throat> okay, yeah, I yeah, forgot so they I had remember. killed him in the primary Marvel Universe mm. because when I was reading, okay, it sounds like he wakes up in the past. He's like, I have no idea how I got here, but who cares? I'm going to go on a killing spree. Pretty it's much, like, Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah, everybody loves that. <laughs> and then he somehow hooks up with the remaining X-Men and they're like, oh, you're not... Like, this isn't your timeline. Like, in our timeline, you're already dead. Look, here's your, you know, here's your tomb. And he's like, well, where am I? And I was thinking, like, well, more importantly, what about all those people you killed? <laughs> like, you straight up, like, murdered, like, a half dozen bad guys before you realized this was not your timeline. Is nobody going to bring that up? And then I did notice, like, a very different uh, thematic shift from that moment. And I was like, what happened? Like, why? I felt like there was something missing. And now I realize it's because they tie that into uh, one of the... I don't know, summer crossover things that they always yeah. do. Yeah, so he, there was this really nice story from maybe 2009 or something like that. And it, it stood on its own. It was just one of those other world stories. Didn't have anything to do with canon. But they brought it into the canon, kind of like a loophole. Where we killed Wolverine, but we got this movie coming up. So how can we include him, but also not ruin the canon? Yeah. So let's take this story and etc. I mean, uh, I understand. That's, that's cool. Whatever. Can you imagine working at, like, Marvel Archives and, like, having to be the dude that they all call and be like, hey, I want to do this. Like, is this straight up with the canon? And then having to go through all the backlogs and cite all these other things. Oh, man, that sounds... Well, that sounds actually, like, that actually <laughs> sounds like a good yeah. job. <laughs> I think I would enjoy that very much. It sounds I cool, like but I, I, I'm... Uh, of course, I'm assuming I have no connections to anything or anybody there, but I feel like it's all for the movies now, no, no matter yeah. what. So, for better or for worse, 
for me it's worse, but for business it's better. When are we gonna get the flaming carrot movie that I've been waiting for? You since? never know. God, there's like a what is it? Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, what, what's the name of the? Have you seen Legends of Tomorrow? Obscure DC characters rip. Oh God, what's the character's name? Uh, this character, DC character. I used to. I had comics when I was a kid. They were from the cut up, and they were this time traveling fellow. Oh, uh, Rip Hunter or something. He has his own show on CW. Really? Yeah, really? yeah. It's it's called Legends of Tomorrow. So it's this. <laughs> oh God, I, the name escapes me now. But it's him and the Atom and. Uh, really? It's a, it's like a Flash B show. Like there's oh, the Flash, okay. there's Arrow, and there's a Flash, and there's Legends of Tomorrow. God, I can't recall his name, but it's like a team show. And he has a TV show. This guy has a TV show. So you I never know. What I'm like, trying to say is, you might someday get a Flaming Carrot show. I hope so. I've always loved the Flaming Carrot. Flaming Carrot's great. Right. Tick too. Oh my goodness, man! <laughs> I loved the Tick when I was a kid. The uh, Tick, yeah. The Tick and show. They, they the comic. It in those giant. Like magazine size yeah, issues, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Like the, they couldn't fit in the standard board and bag. That's why it was always a pain in the ass. But I loved it. I remember they're making a, a new TV show out of that too. I think there was It'll a pilot. Like the third I saw. one, I think. Yeah, there was a pilot that was pretty cool, but I don't know what happened. I think they just made a pilot for Amazon. I don't know if it got picked up. Yeah. yeah, or even do you know Legion from X Men? Yeah, I just I've Legion been show. About it. It's been getting great. I heard it's crazy. I saw the pilot. It was all right. Um, Aubrey Plaza's in it, right? Yeah, I think briefly, no spoilers, but uh, I just watched the pilot, like extended pilot. It's mm-hmm. it's cool. It's one of those shows that it's technically connected to the universe, but if you didn't know anything about comics, you don't have you don't have like, to. You can just watch it. I think, okay. which is I hear, that, that's appealing. I hear Legion, and I think Son of Charles Xavier, who started like the whole Age of Apocalypse thing. Is that the same dude? Same dude, but they're. <laughs> not alluded okay. to that yet. This is like the All origin right. story, I think, right? Because I heard it takes place in like the seventies. E, I'm not sure exactly, but any anything related to X Men, I haven't seen it. I only watched the pilot, by the way. But yeah, it is the same one. That is one of that comic that you're talking about when uh, what happened to like he. All, it was a weird thing. Like uh, Legion comes back. He's. Uh, supremely powerful telepath and telekinetic and pyrokinetic as well. Schizophrenic. Yeah, he's also, like, nutty. And he hates... He's Magneto. got a grudge against his dad and Magneto. And, and he, he goes tries to back kill in Magneto? time. But simultaneously, the Mac- <laughs> in a completely different story, like, I can't believe this even happened. There's, like, a completely different story where the Macron crystals, like, crystallizing the entire universe somehow. And it's yeah, heading yeah, to yeah. Earth. So they go back in time. He tries to kill Magneto... Charles Xavier jumps in front of it and he kills his own father and so completely alters yeah and alters completely realters the universe, which is good because apparently Macron crystals destroy the universe at the same time anyway. It's such a weird. <laughs> and then they had like um, I don't know like a couple seasons of the Age of Apocalypse timeline, which so, had some weird stuff in there as well. When that came out, it was like ninety five. Something like that. Yeah, 95. I was like 9 or 10 when that came out, and that was the first thing, more than any other piece of literature in my life, that really expanded my mind to think about time travel and thinking about really having to focus on, wait, what exactly is going on? So I really really credit Marvel 
and Scott Lindell and whoever was writing at the time. I mean, it was fun. Everyone had a trippy. chance to like reimagine old characters. Uh, but I, I love like... the whole Logan's got one hand and Cyclops only has one eye. I was like, ah, because those two would fight. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, I feel like that that gimmick is a little bit played out. I mean, it's a it's like a loophole. Yeah. Mm. If we want to change stuff, what do we do? Oh, let's just travel back like, in time. Boop, reset yeah, reinvent the universe, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they kept, like, stuff that they liked um, and put it back into the normal when they reset convenient. it. Like the Nathan, like the X-Man, Nathan, um, Nate. Not like Cable. The, yeah, yeah, but like the, his alternate universe, Cable, who doesn't get, like, uh, the technovirus, uh, ended up with a title in the regular when they rebooted back to the normal stuff. It's I I, you know. I I need Wikipedia open for this. Yeah, it's I, it's hard to find. Why don't obscure? Yeah, I don't we're, remember we're it getting that well. deep into. I just remember looking at like the age weird. of apocalypse art and being like, "This is new and cool." And like, what do they do with Magneto and Logan? And this is so weird. And what was the one with the um, Sabretooth? <coughs> and then there was the two that he kept on a chain. Was oh, that Sabretooth who kept not, the, the twins on the chain. Or maybe Sabretooth was on the chain. Oh, maybe yeah. There's too much to keep track of. Yeah. Yeah. For a <laughs> casual beer conversation, I, oh, need, yeah. I need, This is why we have smartphones. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> take a let's take a break, and when we get when we come back, we'll talk about. We should probably talk about Japan. Sure. <laughs> Music was ostensibly the theme of our show, our Great entire idea. radio show. Uh, what do we want to play? Did you bring any music for us, Justin? Yes, I did. So let's what have listen. You uh, let's listen to uh, my old band, Muka Bus. Let's listen to Undimensional. Awesome. Um, the album Undimensional from well, oh, ten years ago. Mm. Why? It would be bad. Dimensional. Mm. 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 Mm.
we're back. Uh, what did we just hear, Justin? I've already forgotten the title. Undimensional by my old band Mucopus from the album Undimensional. Uh, that was recorded in the States, yes? Actually, that was recorded in the Czech Republic. Wow. Um, well, we did the drums in the States, and we recorded everything else in the Czech Republic while we were on tour in 2007, in the summer of 2007. Wow. Oh, so yeah, that was almost, I can't believe 2007 was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. We are all old. Yep. That's right. So, <laughs> 10 year anniversary this year. Uh... So you played in bands in the States, and it's in touring through Europe. Have you played here in Japan at all? Yeah, I played in Japan 12 years ago. We played, uh, Mucopus played the first Tokyo Death Fest in, played in Shibuya at Cyclone, wow. and we played at <coughs> Shinjuku Face. Shinjuku Face, no, no, I'm sorry, not Shinjuku, Sh- Hatsudai Wall. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Hatsudai Wall. Um, yeah, it was about 12 years ago. Cyclone, that's a cool venue. I saw Marduk there. Oh, yeah? uh, Marduk, who has been the subject of much controversy. Much bullshit controversy. I did read about that. Like, when I, the first thing we heard about it was um, that uh, that communist group down in Austin. Yeah, they posted a blog about it. About how, like, they, they, like, asked Antifa to protest, and then, like, people were like, oh, we looked into it, and this is really not a good use of our time, and they got upset about it, and then they they deleted the original blog post. Yeah, so basically, in the the original blog post, they're like, we wanted uh, BLM activists and Antifa to be involved, but they all backed out. They're cowards and stuff, so Yeah, yeah, they called all, like, all... They called them cowards. Yeah. And then, um... I think... I don't know if this happened before or after the... I think San Francisco, um... Oakland? Oh, or Oakland, Oakland. Yeah, it was in Oakland. yeah, yeah. yeah. That was I think their show got canceled, right? Yeah, because yeah, of, they were worried about Antifa uh, and protesters and stuff like that. And then Invisible Oranges wrote something about it that I saw but did not read. Like it made us because we had been talking about uh, in a Slack chat about mm-hmm. like, okay, well, are they? Uh, do they have any connections to National Socialist Black Metal? I don't. Don't think so. I don't yeah. Think so. Anyway, back uh, <laughs> back to the subject. Uh, so you played uh, in Japan uh, twelve years ago, but you only moved here a few. Years yeah, ago. I've been working and living here for about three years. And what are you What have you been doing for work? Here? I've been teaching English, English conversation school, like a lot of expats, yeah, like me, and, like me. Well, I, mean, I teach in a public school, but teachers, teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, pretty much just that. Cor- no, wait, earlier, because we were talking about how you saw parasitic ejaculation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Rustum, and you said you ran into a guy from Osaka who used to run uh, a label, and you were you were on his label. Yeah, that's right. I ran into uh, Masakatsu Sugimoto from Amputated Vein Records from Osaka. Uh, he's the one. Mukapus was on Amputated Vein about twelve years ago, and he brought us out to Tokyo. He arranged the original tour, and he arranged the, our first album. And I hadn't seen him in yeah twelve years, so. Wow. At the parasitic show, so how how did you get hooked up with him in the first place? So we got hooked up through my buddy Al, who is in a band called Goratory from Boston. Mm-hmm. We were good buddies with Goratory, Al and Adam and Max and Zach and Jay and Darren. Uh, we I remember around 2004 we were doing Mucopus was doing a short like weekend warrior type of 
we were from New York, so we would go out to New England and like Connecticut and New Hampshire and Boston and come back. And we would always stay with our, our, our band friends out there. When we played in Massachusetts, we stayed with Al. And Al told us, he said, hey, we got this offer to go to Japan for this uh, Tokyo Death Fest, but we're touring Europe at that time. So we were like, hey, hook us up. Let's, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And Al put in the good word for us, and we got hooked up through that pretty much. No! I keep trying to think of, like, segues, and I can't think of a single one to save my life. So, like, would you say Tokyo failed to put on a, a death fest? Panoptic Press. What is the state of affairs? It's good that? enough. Yeah. Panoptic Press recently uh, published uh, your latest kind of anthology. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's an anthology of comments, but it's written by me, and it's the arts by Steve Arenas, who we talked about earlier, and... Yeah, I wanted to treat this. We were talking about music. I wanted to treat this like like a band. I mean, from now until we're, we're working on a second one, and it's just going to be Steve and I doing this. Uh, and yeah, it's an anthology comic. It takes place in a world that you could say is it's America it, now or in the future. It's kind of you know undetermined. It's up to you. I wa- we, when we started throwing the idea around of how to put this together, we kept calling it a crime comic. But as you saw, I mean, it's it's crime, but it's not like some Ed Brubaker comic. It's it's about why people do bad. No! Talking about not crime in the typical comic sense or typical entertainment sense, but. It's more meditative than uh, arcing stories, you know, mysteries or procedural type stories you're getting here. Well, the word uh, on the tip of my tongue is noir. Could mm-hmm. it be that? It's black and white. <laughs> <laughs> there uh, are a lot of Venetian blinds. Yeah, I mean, when I wrote these stories, I, I thought a lot about how the stories should arc. A lot of stories in Western comics and Western entertainment in general, there's a beginning and then there's a lot of development and tension in the middle and then it's resolved at the end. And I kind of followed that, but these aren't really action-packed. I always thought of these as kind of quiet comics. There aren't any explosions and people... shootings. There's shootings and people die, but it's the same feeling you get when you'd read the news as opposed to reading or reading or watching a movie where people are exploding and it's all... It, I wanted to... When you read it, I wanted you to have a different feeling where it's just like... No! That sucks. I mean, I, I know it's not the sexiest uh, sell when I'm trying to... Uh, tell this or, or sell this to people that want to read it or might want to read it. But I think uh, one of the ones that really kind of um, stood out for me, if I'm remembering the title right, um, I believe it was Steps. Steps, yes. It was the one with the guy he made some some you know, joke that, and I think you address it actually in your intro. Yeah, Steps is uh, generally about a, a fictional writer. He wrote something that was so horrible and controversial and so affecting that tons and tons of people killed themselves mm-hmm. over it and uh, he caused a big stink and this character his name's Franz Frank and he's loud 
and he's big, and he's noisy, and a lot of people don't like him, but he doesn't really care, and this comic is his first press conference, his first public press conference since he published the book, and it takes place on kind of like a city hall type steps. Yeah, I guess. Right here. yeah, and yep. I noticed that, and it's, he's he's very arrogant. Um, he's arrogant. He's abrasive and a little bombastic, and he makes fun of people that are interviewing him. And he has a lot to say. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's basically just a monologue. Yeah, yeah. Him kind of explaining himself and kind of saying, "Well, you know, I'm I'm you know I'm suffering, and I'm I'm creating this art or whatever. And what are you doing? You guys are just kind of a." You guys are, it's a witch hunt or something. Yeah, generally. So he was on the defensive. Yeah, and very much on the defensive. I like this coverage shot here yeah. of the uh, the shoes and the cigarette butts. Yeah, what I wanted to focus on here, it's called steps because I wanted to focus on the cracks and the steps and you can use that as a metaphor for whatever you like. I mean, the foundation is broken in lots and lots of different ways in just that image, but if you think about the state of what's happening now, and yeah, failed state, steps, Cracks in the steps. Yeah, I think it was it was kind of like a kind of a poetic justice the ending of the piece though because he's at no point does he kind of offer an apology and he says this is what it is you know kindly piss off that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, none of you are are putting yourselves out there but he never really takes any sort of responsibility for this sort of thing and he just says well they're weak and they're stupid and that's why they did it. Yeah. And I thought the ending was a little bit poetic because he's like, all of you need to shut up. Pretty, yeah, he's, yeah, he's essentially saying, uh, don't judge me. Let me be an artist because I'm doing the work and what are you doing? Whether you sympathize or or you're totally against that, it doesn't really matter because in the end, uh, I have to say spoilers if you're going to read this, sorry. Yeah, spoiler but, three, two, one. Yeah, he gets shot in the head. Yeah. Well, I mean, I gets sniped. Yeah, and... First time I read it, like, basically one of his last lines is that no one knows when to shut the F up. Then someone shut him up. And I thought it was very interesting because the entire thing is just a monologue of him defending himself, right? Yeah. And, and, he, um, and whether that's fair or not, that's not up to me. I mean, I'm just posing the question here. Does he deserve to write? Does he deserve to make art? Or does he deserve to get shot in the face? I don't know. And it also touches on how people react to it. If you If you look down... He, when he gets sniped in the face, people are running and people are scared, but you still have people taking selfies of themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's just that, yeah, if you see right there, oh, yeah. sorry, listeners, <laughs> <laughs> we're looking, but you're listening. But uh, it is what it is. I, when, I, when I was talking earlier about this isn't a typical, I don't want to say crime comic because there's not much of a resolution. It's just death in, the, in that one, at least. It's... Uh, However you feel about it is totally fine. If you if you don't like the... I can't say he's a protagonist or antagonist. He's kind of both. You can feel sympathy for him, but you can, you know he's an asshole. Because no! he is, but is it... Does he deserve to get shot? I don't know. Also in Failed State, we have comics, but we also have a few um, like nonfiction articles. And to talk about Japan, I wrote an article about um, Kinshou, where I actually work. You guys have been to Kinshou? Mm-hmm. Uh, remind me geographically where that is. Near Yogoku, um, East Tokyo. It's very close to Skytree. Oh, okay, so like uh, northeast. Yep, okay. yeah. It's uh, pretty big, uh, commercial, but it's known as the... Uh, near there and Sumiyoshi, it's where a lot of the older mafia guys 
hang around. Not like it's dangerous. I mean, we're all from the States here. We know how... It's not dangerous, dangerous, but as far as Tokyo goes, it's dangerous. And last April, there was a minor news story. There was a famous badminton player, uh, Kento Mimota. He got busted for playing Baccarat in Kinshou at one of these illegal establishments. It sounds silly to us, Baccarat. It's like what old yeah. women play. Yeah. But uh, James Bond played yeah, in yeah. old 60s. James Bond novels. So if you if you exit the south exit of the station and you take a few blocks, there's a lot of love hotels and a lot you know, seedy for for Tokyo it's seedier. Yeah, it's just kind of a observational piece about what to, uh, Kinshasa's like, what Tokyo can be like. Because I mean, we read a lot about Tokyo and how crazy it is, how bright it is and great it is and it's great but this is just a different side yeah, yeah. show is not really a, a place for a lot of tourists to go anyway they normally go to Oshiage like Sky Tree and That's see right. that apart but I mean there's know. shopping oh, and, yeah. like if yeah. you're on the east side for uh, touristy stuff you mm. go to like the temples and the uh, Saksa area yeah yeah it's a traditional feel uh, in Kinshou yeah I mean it's really convenient because uh, it's near a lot of stuff so you can if you wanted to walk you could and I think I think your description and we talked about this before mm. on Messenger too I think your description of Kinshou is very spot on thank you yeah especially like from the eyes of you know being foreigners you know and that's um, all I can do I have to be honest I mean I'm not Japanese so yeah. I, I, what this piece is I, I wanted to have some like true life news story but blended in with my own experience and I took some pictures that are in the magazine too because that's how it is but uh thanks for saying that because when I wrote it I felt like is this too negative or but it's just that's just how it is yeah I mean I think like a lot of your descriptions here you know uh, when you talk about like the tired moms you know with the kids and everything like that I mean that's a lot of Tokyo yeah I mean it's it's what I see or what we see because we work here so when you're you're here for two weeks it's great mm-hmm. you're like god man I want to live here this place is amazing it's so safe and convenient and people are so nice and it's true that's not wrong mm-hmm. Japan's great Tokyo's awesome I want to tell more of an honest or full story about what's yeah. what's happening and what's yeah. here and also like Kinshicho is also the station there is also really interesting because Almost every station or most major stations have a red light district near them, mm-hmm. right? But like they, these are—it's it, literally right next to it. Yeah, it's I mean, right there. Although in the daytime, everything's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine. But at night, when the lights come up, mm-hmm. it just has a different feel, different vibe. And yeah. did you take these photos? Yeah, I just—I took the photos myself just when I had the chance. But man, when you're just a white guy snapping photos right next to the Koban, the police box. I try not to draw attention to myself, but it's definitely one of those things where you have to do it kind of discreetly. Otherwise, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you taking weird pictures of these places? Mm -hmm. So that's near the south side of the station. That's just how it is. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, it's a part of, it's a part of Japan also where... Yeah, it's exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's strange. It's, it's strange the difference how the kind of, the mundane and then like places that are mundane like transit you know places where you transit and and places where you play that are considered for play right and yeah it just overlaps so quickly in such a small space yeah and people have no problem changing themselves or taking off the mask mm-hmm. okay i'm a businessman businesswoman mm-hmm. in the afternoon and at night i gamble and play packer at yeah <laughs> go get massage yeah <laughs> i mean 
I, there's nothing wrong with that. I can't, you can't judge people for that. People have vices, and that's just how it is. It's just, it's a side of Tokyo that is there. You can't deny it. Yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's just, yeah, like I'm saying, like, for us, it's, it's just very different, but for most people here, they're like, it's completely normal. It's completely normal, or it's something that they don't think about, because mm-hmm. we, we see it differently. We perceive it differently. All right, why don't we take a break? Uh, do we have another track from Justin's old band? Yeah, let's listen to uh, Corporation X. This is off our first album called Mulch. Corporation X. Mulch.
just here? Uh, we just listened to Mucopus Corporation X from the album Mulch, awesome. 2005. Yeah, so before we, we close up for the night, I wanted to talk about one more of the, the kind of short stories in Failed State, which uh, I think was the most death metal story. You probably know which one I'm talking about. Was Balance? Balance, yeah. And what was the, what was the sort of uh, thinking behind that? or Inspiration, or you just wanted to do something that was kind of really subdued, but then really brutal in the end? Yeah, so I want I was when I was writing that I was like, well, I want to do something that's kind of like horror, but not typical horror. Uh, subdued is a good word. Uh, quiet. Um, yeah, uh, balance is about uh, two friends who work at the same grocery store together, and the setting is kind of upstate New York in my mind. Mm-hmm. Something like upstate New York, lower middle class people in their late twenties, early thirties. They're just you know chilling out and again spoilers the gist is that she confesses she rambles a lot and she confesses and shows her friend what she did to her ex-girlfriend and yeah here's the spoiler she chopped her up and she chopped up the guy who her ex cheated on her with because she feels like that was fair because well she cheated on me so I'm going to chop you up and that's the balance but the, the, in, the her friend, right, had a very interesting reaction in the end, and I wasn't sure if it was ah yeah sort of horror or or um, you know mesmerization or uh, bit admiration. of both. Uh, all of it, all of that. He he was he's scared mostly, and then he's amazed by it, and he doesn't know why. But yeah, we'll see what happens someday in the future. But. Um, we don't really know exactly how he feels, but he feels a deep respect for her, I think, which is sick because she's a murderer. Mm-hmm. But he's, uh, yeah, he's overwhelmed mm-hmm. and seemingly brought to tears. In this case, this male character is named Sam. He he admires that she completely controls her not destiny, but what happens in her life. Mm-hmm. She took full control of it, and he's he's overwhelmed and impressed to an extent. Mm-hmm. And that's not good, because we're talking murder here. So, again, it's one of those situations where this is what happened, and you can decide what's good and what's bad, or should I rationalize with her and or him, or who do I rationalize with? It's just a question. It's another question. I'm not answering the questions in failed state. That's for you guys to anything is okay as long as you talk about it yeah and there was a, I, I didn't notice that general kind of in, moral ambiguity yeah the, throughout the issue because when I read comic comics especially I mean or a lot of art or entertainment in general these days there's a message at the end of it this is what's good this is what's right and sometimes I agree with that I'm being very vague in general right now but with art, it should be your decision. With the consumer, the the person receiving it, it's up to you. And, and that sounds a little bit like a cop out, though. I understand. I know. I know. These are all open to interpretation for sure. If someone wants a copy of Failed State, you said um, if they want a hard copy, they can go onto the website. They can go onto the website, thepanopticpress.com. You can go to the store link. Uh, Right now, we're mostly we're dealing in hard copies for Failed State. Failed State is printed in a bigger format than regular comics, so it's more of a square magazine 
uh, format. As of right now, we don't have digital copies, but I think in the near future, uh, we're working on doing the digital copy. But like I said, because of the format, because of the size, it's meant to be read in a uh, square format. So when you're looking at it on, say, like iPad or Kindle, it might look a little strange. So that's why we're kind of keeping it. To, and it's also uh, hand-printed right now. Okay. So. All right. Well, let's uh, move into the closing out portion. Uh, is there anything you want to plug aside from uh, Panoptic Press uh, in general? Yeah, just the Panoptic Press. We're working on the next failed state right now. Three Japanese bands that you think people need to know about. Okay, FID... Fujitsu adaptation. Unholy Grave, of course, is great. But JBC CSSO, CSSO, Naru's old band. Um, right. uh, we played a track from them yeah, uh, from previous episode. Yeah. Yep. Are you off? Are you experience? Yeah. Are you experience was really that was big for me. Mm-hmm. What it came out in 2004 and I'm really happy I got to see them. Maybe a year or two ago, uh, they played in Koiwa. They did a, re- a small reunion oh, cool. show. Oh, you oh, were there. Uh, I was Bush there Bash. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bush Bash. Yep. Yeah, Bush Bash. Yeah, uh, yep. that was really cool. So to to say, I got to see them. So CSSO, FID, of course, these acronym bands. Uh, one more. Recently, I saw Gorevent. Gorevent oh, played. Uh, I haven't seen them yet. And I want. To. I was really impressed. They were really. They're. I think they're a little older. Mm-hmm. They've been around for a while, and I saw them at that parasitic ejaculation show, and they're great. They were really, really good. Not from Tokyo. They're from... Three comics hmm. everyone has to read. Three comics everyone has to read. Yeah. I would say The Invisibles by Grant Morrison, although... But that's something that's so extreme and so out there that I don't know if I would recommend that to someone because I could easily see somebody hating that. There's a, a, gra- a graphic novel by David Mazzucchelli who's famous for doing the uh, Batman Year One. Right, right. Uh, he did... A graphic novel called Asterios Polyp. Uh, it's a one-off. It's a, a big hard. You can buy a hardcover version of it. Um, it's uh, it's fiction, but uh, sort of avant-garde slice of life type comic. Uh, it's just great. And number three, you're obviously going to say Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> no, no. I actually never read that. Um, number three. It's hard not to just keep recommending Grant Morrison. I know, that's what I'm trying to avoid because I wanted to say The Filth, too. Uh, yeah. But oh, I, I want to say something that's not Grant Morrison. How about... Ah, oh, you put me on the spot here. How about uh, Transmetropolitan? Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, also great. Warren Ellis. Yeah, classic uh, Warren Ellis. Uh, which five is... Five-year run. Um, very relevant now. I, I read it a couple years ago, maybe two, three, like reread it and... Man, it's still damn yeah, it's good. Still good. It's still, it's still pops, very good. Still just as raw. If you like uh, reading Hunter S. Thompson stuff, especially his coverage of the uh, seventy-two election, you will love Transmetropolitan. Also, like um, keeping in contact with Warren Ellis is up. Like weird fascination with like transhumanism and stuff like that. Weird future technologies and things that he later explored in uh, Doctor Sleepless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doctor Sleepless, right? Yeah. Which he never finished, and I hate him for it. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, what should we go out on, Jared? What do you want to hear? You mentioned neuroticos earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't have any neuroticos in my I've, library. You're I've gonna got have some. To... Yeah, I can find some. Okay, yeah, uh, I want to go out with a yet-to-be-named neuroticos track. It'll be in the playlist that we always provide on the SoundCloud page. Uh, 
Also, any relevant links to Panoptic Press will also be on the SoundCloud. Uh, yes, yes, and, and on uh, the site. On and, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a piece coming out in Invisible Oranges at the end of March. Oh, we got yeah, yeah, yeah. The, submitted uh, and everything? Yeah, Joseph got back to me a couple of days ago saying that they it'll be out sometime in the last week of March. And that one's um, based on the Nori interview, right? Yes, yes it is, so check that out. And also, <laughs> we're in the works of putting together uh, Kala's next show. So uh, we're starting a new series called The Tower. We already have flyer artwork by uh, Susie Kruger. Audrey, yeah. she was on the last episode. She designed our business cards. Yeah, and she designed <laughs> our business cards. Um, so I love Jordan's. It's like Jordan's private eye. <laughs> um, but so far we have uh, four bands confirmed. We have Butcher ABC, Anatomia, awesome. FID, awesome. Um, and uh, Funeral Sutra. Oh, and we're waiting on two more bands right now. And so we might have six bands, we might have seven bands. So we'll see. We'll let you guys know. All right. Justin, thank you for coming to the quote-unquote studio. <laughs> the bedroom. <laughs> thank you very much, guys. And we are looking forward to seeing Fail State 2. Let us know when that's coming out. Yeah, of course. Uh, or when that's ready to go. Everyone say goodbye. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye-bye. I got it.
Yeah, I'm 